loose ball. Ewing goes up. The basket counts. He gets it over to the doctor. Tie ball game. Here's a shot, Julius. He, he scores! He scores! Anthony for three. Bang! That one goes down, and the game is tied. Here is Durant moving on Tucker. He turns. He shoots. Yes! Knicks, Nets, and all things across the association. This is Pick and Pod on WFUV Sports. Classes are done at Fordham until the fall. Seniors are graduating on Saturday, but we keep rolling here at WFUV. How's it going, everyone? Will Talent here. Alongside me is Chris Persiani and, and Will Jing. And welcome back to another edition of Pick and Pod. We have a lot of stuff to unpack throughout this episode. We're going to be talking about the second round exits of the Phoenix Suns and the Milwaukee Bucks. And then we'll move into the conference finals with the Miami Heat and Boston Celtics and the Golden State Warriors and Dallas Mavericks. We'll talk about our finals predictions, who's going to come out of those conference finals. We'll touch a little bit on the MVP, Nikola Jokic. And we'll finish the show with the most recent NBA news, and that is the draft lottery. But without further ado, Chris and Will, how are you guys doing today? It's great to be done with school, man. I'm not going to lie. This is not, this is not, you know, I'm not trying to come out with anti-Fordham. No, it's just anti-finals week uh, stress. You know, I think um, I'm almost a little confused here at home. Like I sat down to watch the playoffs last night and like a minute in, I got that like kick in the back of your head. Like, oh, what did I have to do today? You know, um, and I'm like, oh, wait, I'm allowed to relax, bro. Like, that's crazy. So I've just been hanging out. I've been watching hoops, all the usual, but without sleeping at 7 a.m. every night, which I will take. Yeah, I'm enjoying my uh, summer break as well so far. It's like one of those things where like, like Chris said, like the other day, I was kind of just like watching movies, having like nothing do. And I was like, wait, like, is this really for real? Because like, I'm so used to being like, not having time for anything and then it was more just like the other day just like oh wait I actually have time like how do I want to spend it like that's not something that happened like in a long time yeah nothing's due no papers essays none of that stuff it's it's nice you can just sit down watch some ball and then talk some ball and that's exactly what we're going to start right now and I want to jump right in let's talk about Phoenix guys NBA's best team in the regular season 64 and 18 the only team to have 60 plus wins this season they were up three games to two. They blew game seven at home and they just, they got blown out. That You can't put it any other way. 123 to 90. Devin Booker's game seven, 11, three and two on 13, uh, excuse me, on three of 14 from the field. I'll start with you, Chris. What went wrong with Phoenix against Dallas? There's been a trend in the NBA these last couple of years of especially top end players mailing in the regular season. Now this, in my opinion, really, really got kicked off by a certain event. This is not just, oh, modern player empowerment as a vague concept, you know, just striking on the league. Like, no, no, there's a reason that this happens. And it's because of the following phrase, not coined, but made very relevant by the 73 and nine warriors that it don't mean a thing without the ring. Well, and and after that year with my Golden State having literally the best record of all time, and what was the story? <laughs> they blew the lead in the finals. 
So, you know, the Suns got a lot of respect from people. They showed people that the regular season matters. It's a good time to build your team chemistry, get your offense really flowing. And then the chips were down and they looked like a six-year-old, like about to like do a piano recital that was (laughs) ready to cry out of like stage fright. Like, I don't know. Chris Paul and Devin Booker are two guys that I really respect. I think DeAndre Ayton is worth a max contract, right? They all three of them were like crying in the corner on national TV, bro. Like that was insane. Luca and the Mavericks, they play like a St. Peter's, they play like a Cinderella story, right? Coach Kid has Davis Bertads talking about defense in press conferences. Coach Kid has Luka Doncic talking about defense in press conferences. Bertans took a charge the other game. Like that's not a thing he does. This this team, they play hard, they play hard for each other, they play hard for their coach. They showed up and and they kicked the Suns' butts in for thinking that they could coast by them. I know it took seven, uh, but when you're as good as the Suns were, losing in any fashion with like that last game, you could consider it a sweep, and I wouldn't care. That was disgusting. Uh, and the Mavericks absolutely deserved to be in the WCF after that. What went wrong for Phoenix was just their mindset. I mean, they looked like they didn't want it. Um, Andre Ayton was not given a max contract before the season. He had played 17 minutes, and Monty Williams told him to go back in. He said no. The two had to be separated because Monty was like, wait, what did you just say to me? And eight was like, dude, I'm not going in. And when you think about it, if you're due for a potential max contract, would you risk an Achilles tear, an ACL tear for a team that's down 30 and doesn't seem to care at all about whether they lose or win in game seven? I might consider doing the same as eight. And if I really like valued that next contract and knew I thought I could get a max for sure. Um, that team fell apart, man. They weren't built for it when the when it was when they were on the brightest stage, the, the biggest stage that the country has, you know, at the at the point, and they embarrassed themselves. So that's that's what went wrong for Phoenix was just the mental makeup of that team. They weren't ready for that situation. And Luca, you know, like I said, that St. Peter's vibe that everyone's gonna play hard and just try to out hustle you. Uh, thing that the Mass have going on, kick them in. I'm going to have to disagree with you on the on the eight and take. I don't think he's worth the max contract, but I think he he's definitely worth like more than what he's getting paid now. And like also like the, from my perspective, like even if you're, you know, you're down however much you are, I still feel like you should go in the game. Just like, dude, you're playing basketball like like well, why did you come to the NBA in the first place to play basketball? Not so you can like sit out and wait for the max. Yeah, like, like also, those guys all year. I get it. Those guys were your soldiers in battle, like all year, and now you leave them out to dry. I get your point. I do. Yeah, no, and also like I think the biggest problem was just Luca. Honestly, I mean, when you have like this dude is probably like if we're looking at the NBA right now and you're looking for somebody that's probably gonna like say become like a top ten player all the time, like when it's all said and done in their career. You're probably looking at like, well, other than obviously the more established guys like, you know, LeBron and like Kevin Durant, who could possibly enter that conversation. In terms of younger guys, it's going to be like Luca and Giannis. And like Luca's what? It's like his like fourth, third, something like that year in the NBA. And for someone that looks like, um, like that good and, and that young, like you have to, like you have to, as, as the Phoenix Suns, even though you're the first seed, you do have to like still find a way to, to, to stop him. Not because also I noticed that they got so cocky 
throughout like the course of the season. Like, I don't know if you guys noticed, but I think in my personal opinion that Devin Booker, like he's definitely pretty cocky. You know, you saw him like doing like, you know, taking the ball away from, you know, Luca just like being yeah. annoying. And then, you know, um, you know, Jake Crowder is always getting into something like the, I feel like those two. And then, you know, with people like that rubbing off of the rest of the team, when you have like an attitude issue, when you have like a, a cockiness, ego issue, that's not going to bode well for you, especially when you're playing someone like Luca, who, you know, he's an up and coming superstar and he's going to find a way to decimate you. If you like have any holes in your, in your team chemistry or anything like that. I mean, take, yeah. they went up against the rising superstar in the finals and Giannis, they went up 2-0. LeBron was posting on Twitter two to go at CP three after game two, that win in Phoenix, Paul and Booker specifically went up to all the celebrities in the front row they were dapping him up. Paul saying what up to Lil Wayne, this boy, you know, like they were like, yo, we just won both games at home. We just won the finals. And Milwaukee literally won every single game after that. So these guys have shown that they can be kind of front runners before. And uh, I, I, I get your take completely. I would take both of your DeAndre Ayton takes and like put them together for my own. I could see Ayton being a max player, but I want to see one more good year out of him to get that max contract i do think he can be one of the better big men in this league i just want to see one more year out of him where he shows that yeah i do deserve this max contract and to add to your point will on how devin booker and maybe just his son's team in general is cocky yeah they are and for a good reason but sometimes you know you may think they go a little overboard when i say a good reason they they were the defending Western Conference champs. So they're going to have a chip on their shoulder. And sometimes those little antics, like you mentioned with Devin Booker and Luka Doncic with the stripping of the ball, sometimes, you know, that that's going to hurt you. It may come back to bite you. And that's exactly what happened in this series. And you were talking about Chris Paul, Chris, uh, dapping up Lil Wayne. In game seven, Chris Paul went 10-1-4 and and he shot four for eight from the field in 31 minutes. But I don't want to talk about his play. He's CP3. He's going to go down as one of the best point guards to ever play this game. I want to talk about real quick before we move on to Milwaukee, what Patrick Beverly had to say on ESPN about CP3. I was blown away with the comments that Patrick Beverly was making about Chris Paul. Will, what was your reaction when you heard what Pat Bev had to say? I mean, here's the thing. It's, it's hard to say because on one hand, He's being honest and he's obviously somebody that has experience, you know, playing against Chris Paul. And he's somebody that, you know, it's a, he's not just like some dude that doesn't get minutes, you know, in the NBA, he does get minutes and he does get that time on the court. So he is, you know, experienced as some of the other analysts on like, you know, whether it be like first take or whether it's, you know, inside the, or, or whatever, like NBA um, show, like he has experience as some of the other guys don't have, but at the same time, it's like, he's not a star. And so he, I feel like also part of it's a little bit disrespectful and like, also to add on to that, I don't know if this might play a part, but I believe he was in that sign and trade with Chris Paul when Chris Paul initially went from the Clippers to the Rockets. So he might have a little bit of also just a, a bone to pick with Chris Paul over that. So I mean, I don't really know exactly how to feel. It's one of those things where it's just like, I kind of just brush it off because it could be that he's being honest or 
Um, you know, it could be that he just, for whatever reason, has some kind of personal beef with Chris Paul. And it, like from an outside uh, perspective, we're never really going to know. Fair. CP3 also has a history of his little situations and spats over his career. I mean, I could pull up like 20 photos of him potentially intentionally trying to injure other players like mid play. <laughs> and that means a lot of guys have beef with him too over that stuff. Um, Cause I, people take that seriously. And Chris Paul's always like got his foot out in the wrong spot, you know, somehow. Um, and that, that's like Grayson Allen, you know, like at a certain point you're like, all right, man, like, I don't think that's a coincidence. So yeah, he definitely has his fair share of beefs, but I just think it's a sign of like that team. I, I, I like for my evaluation of teams going forward, I got to look more into like who's on a team. Like, you know what I mean? Like who is that team's enforcer? Uh, Jay Crowder, I guess. I don't know. They had a bunch of fake tough guys, right? It didn't work out. Like they got, they got beat by a team that has like Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans trying on defense as like their, their like moving factor is like why they're able to keep up. Cause we know they don't have a real number two. Right. Like they tried to get one in Kristaps. It didn't work out. So they dumped him for whatever they could. They a bad contract and did what he, you know, like it's just uh it's it's very funny to see the Suns go down like that after that big regular season because it's just like, yeah, none of it mattered now. So <laughs> they're in Cancun, as people like to say. Fake tough guys. I like that, Chris. Fake tough guys in Phoenix. Their season's over and another team whose season is over, and that's the defending champions, the Milwaukee Bucks. They go down in the second round, so no finals repeat for either conference. Milwaukee, they were the three seed in the East, had a 51-31 and 31 record. The big, in my, in my opinion, the big reason for this series loss, no Chris Middleton at all this series. He sprained his MCL in game two against the Bulls in the first round. And the three-point game, it was lacking without Middleton. Obviously, that's his specialty. That's what he does. That started to pick up later in the series, but it just wasn't enough for the Bucs to move on to the conference finals. Now, Middleton's game, it adds so much to the success of the Buck, of this Bucs team. Now, Chris, how do you think this series would have panned out if Milwaukee had Middleton at all this series? Man, we know what playoff basketball is, right? There's two, there's two main features of it. Um, which regardless of the era seem to be consistent. That's that the game slows down and the floor shrinks. Um, that spacing, you know, that guys enjoy when they move from college to the NBA because uh, NBA just has three-point shooters galore. Like, yeah, well, everyone's getting guarded tight now. So this isn't, this is, you know, the paint's going to be packed if you drive in it and your shooters are going to be contested. Everyone's going full effort. Um, and in a game like that, you're playing tug of war right? You know, both defenses are elite. We know, we know Giannis and Brooke combine for an incredible like funnel, you know, to the paint and then Brooke stops guys. Um, so what does it come down to? You know, it's going to be who's tacking on more points and Giannis is as dominant as he is. The Celtics have a good enough defense where they can try to draw, you know, enough attention to him where other guys have to hurt them. Drew Holiday, you know, he has his games, but his big impact nowadays comes on the defensive end, and it always has, but he used to have a little more juice to him offensively, you know, some fresher legs. Middleton is, like, what the Celtics have in 
Brown and Tatum. That's the Bucks' only version of that. That wing bucket getter, that that you know archetype that absolutely controls playoffs. Uh, LeBron, KD, Kawhi, Paul George. You know how long do I need to go on? We could go back in the old days, Carmelo Anthony. Like when we started watching hoops, right? Like wait, it's a wings league always. Even though you could say the three best players in the league right now in the regular season are all big men, um, or or two. Uh, yeah, like it's a it's a wings league, and, and missing one of those is really really hurtful. So, when when that you know when you're playing that kind of tug of war, and the Celtics have those tough bucket getters, um, and you're kind of lacking that skill, uh, just just because of a huge injury. Like when you're depending on Grayson Allen for perimeter offense, you're cooked. You know. Yeah, I mean, like for me, just looking at uh, that series, I think if they had Middleton. They probably would have won considering the fact that they already had a game seven without him. Just like that one little, um, you know, that that one little extra piece would have probably put them over the edge because, you know, they had like close games throughout the series. So I don't I really don't think that uh, Boston would have been able to pull it out if the Bucks did have, you know, Middleton, obviously, um, you know, that they're the reigning defending champions. But, you know, also at the same time, the Celtics are a great team. So, um I think that's why, like, er, like you know, when they lost Middleton, it's like Boston's going to be right there to, you know, just take that, uh, take that series win from them because Boston has probably been one of the best teams, you know, coming down the home stretch of the season. And um, if you look at the last four teams now, I would say that um, they're probably one of the stronger teams out of those, te- uh, out of those remaining four teams. And uh, I mean, probably at least uh, one of the top two teams, like I would say, with the Warriors, even though they, they. Uh, took an out to Miami in the first game just because they work so well as a, uh, a team unit and you know they have guys like Grant Williams that will step up out of nowhere and you know Jason Tatum is you know right there you know if you had like tiers of like NBA stars you know you have like the S tier which is like LeBron and like KD and guys like that and I think Tatum's in that tier right under and they, he still has a bunch of pieces around him he's still got Jalen Brown he's still got Al Horford you know you know, uh, Al Horford was a guy that was missing in game one that probably contributed to the loss. So um, I just think they're, I, I just think they're a great team, honestly. And, you know, every, every single little piece that Milwaukee, you know, did wrong in that series was going to come back to bite them because Boston's going to take advantage. And Jason Tatum, he played a big role in why this Celtics team won that game six. They were down three games to two in Milwaukee. He came to Milwaukee and scored 46 points. And I I think this is a great way to segue into our conference final segment. We'll start in the East with Miami and Boston. Miami, they took game one at home, 118 to 107. Jimmy Butler, he was fantastic. 41, nine and five on 12 of 19 shooting. He also had four steals and three blocks and three of those blocks contributed to the Heat's block total, which was 12 in that game, four coming from Bam Adebayo. The Celtics, they had multiple chances to take the lead late, but they couldn't capitalize on multiple defensive stops. Jason Tatum in game one of the Eastern Conference Finals, he went 29-8-6 and six with four steals, but he also had seven turnovers. Jalen Brown, 24-10-3 and three on seven of 17 shooting, and he was also four of eight from three. It was an exciting game one in South Beach, Will. How do you expect the Celtics to respond in game two? I mean, it really depends on, you know, the injury status of their players. I mean, it really comes down to that. I think if they're shorthanded once again, 
with the way Jimmy Butler's playing, you know, over the past couple of years, I think we've seen that he's, you know, very much a, a playoff guy, like a guy that, I mean, I, I'm not necessarily saying that he's uh, taking it easy in the regular season, but he knows how to come through when, when, the, uh, when it really comes down to it, when, when the game's really important. And, you know, that's what we see from him right now. And, you know, especially, you know, Miami's still, you know, they didn't, they didn't have Duncan Robinson. So it's not like, you know, they're not missing pieces as well. But I think they just, um, you know, I think Boston, especially because their depth is so important to their their team. And so, you know, the loss of a guy like Al Horford is is probably going to prevent them from winning, you know, a second, the game two in Miami, especially because it's in Miami. So that's also, you know, another disadvantage. You know, it's possible that they'll be able to take a game, uh, what, you know, shorthanded if they go back to Boston. But I just don't see them winning game two with um without all their pieces but if they do have all their pieces i would say it's just honestly just a toss-up it's a coin toss i don't really know who get because it depends you know sometimes miami just if you think about it miami doesn't have like on paper they, they don't look as you know deep as boston but you know they have guys that will just you know step up and um so yeah i just for me it just comes down to who's going to be there for both teams for sure. I think uh, back to my point from the previous series, um, you know, Tyler Hero was the sixth man of the year. And I, I've made the point on pick and pot all year that, yeah, he's really good. But I think the reason his stats look how they do, yada, yada, is because there's no one on the heat to take the shots that he does. Right. Like Spolstra knows you need to have a diverse shot diet to be an effective, efficient offense. Right. And who on the heat is taking those, you know, dribble, hezzy, pull-up, mid-range jimbos, right? Like, who on the heat is coming off a down screen on the elbow and pulling up? Who on the uh, who on the heat is cooking someone with three seconds left at the top of the key? Like, who's, like, seriously, though, Kyle Lowry? Like, right? Like, Butler. So that's – he's their guy, right? He's their guy, but that that is – He's so good inside at the free, the getting to the free throw. His free throw rate is ridiculous, right? But, like, I, I love Jimmy. I'm a Nick fan with a Jimmy jersey in my closet, right? But for me, like, they're bucket getters, quote, unquote. Like, it's Hero, and then I was going to say it's Butler, too. Um, but, again, not from three-point, right? He's more someone who works inside. And when your offense is limited to that degree, you know, with those shots, like the, a defense like the Celtics, I think they're going to be able to figure out how to how to take advantage of it and get you playing in a certain way that they want you to. So, you know, I know we're in Miami. I expected Miami to win game one. I said uh, I was on a podcast the other day. I said I think Miami takes game one. I think Boston takes two through four. Goes up 3-1 um, because, you know, a series starts when a road team grabs a win. And I think they do that tonight, game two. They're underdogs again, according to Vegas. They're not. Uh, they're not thinking that Boston's going to win, but I, I, I see them grabbing one here tonight. I always think, you know, a sh like we saw in Game Seven, a big shooting night from someone like Grant Williams could get them exactly where they need to go. So, yeah, I got. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that Jimmy Butler is a primarily an inside guy, Chris. He was 17 for 18 from the stripe in Game One. He was really utilizing the paint mid-range that's the that's the game that we know Jimmy Butler has he's always been that kind of guy 
He only took two threes. He was 0 for 2, but it doesn't matter. He scored 41 points in game one en route to a W. But I do agree with you, Chris. I think the Celtics do end up coming out of this series, and they're going to come out in a big way. But we'll get into that in just a little bit. Right now, I want to move on to the Western Conference, the number three seed Golden State and the number four seed Dallas Mavericks. It was all Golden State in game one. They took home the W, 112 to 87, and they just played all around better than the Mavericks. Shooting-wise, they were 56% from the field to Dallas's 36. They were 34% from three to Dallas's 23. They also out-rebounded Dallas 51 to 35. Big Big numbers there. And Dallas's biggest lead was only two points. Steph Curry, 21, 12, and four on 17 on seven of 16 shooting. Jordan Poole, 19 points off the bench, eight for 12 shooting. Personally, I don't see Dallas making it past Golden State. But Chris, what are the keys for Dallas to at least keep the Warriors on their toes in this series? Uh, you know, I, I've given Coach Kidd his credit. Uh, I thought he was a not great hire and he's been really, really great for them this year. Like to the extent where if you made me make a list, I would put him as a top 10 coach in, in the NBA. Right. Uh, I don't know what he was doing in game one with those no center lineups, man. I don't know if you guys caught that game, but the Mavericks like spent way more time than they should have without a center on the floor. Um it was then that the lead, you know, platooned to, to 20, 30, et cetera. Um, and that's when he put, he would put Dwight Powell back in. It's like, all right, dude, you know, <laughs> um, it's not, not the most imposing presence on the boards, on the glass. Uh, I, I think the Mavericks, like, God, do they need to be after Rudy Gobert this offseason, right? But regardless of that, um, just this series, keep a center on the floor. Keep switchy perimeter defenders on the floor. If you think your offense is just going to be Luka and maybe a little bit of Brunson, lean into it. Go Brunson, Nilakina, Doncic, Darian Finney-Smith, and Powell. Like play, play the lineup that you think will get you the best shot of staying in the game. So the score was was 38-35 at one point yesterday, right? Like it was like the Mavericks were in the game, okay? And then kids started taking the center out and foop, 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 the threes start hitting for Golden State and poof, they're out of the game. Lost by 40, right? Oh, how'd that happen? When you let the Golden State Warriors barrage you from downtown, like what, why are we having this conversation? Keep a center on the floor, guard them right, and just play your style of basketball. He tried to big brain it and it backfired big time. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I, I don't think, you know, especially when you're getting out-rebounded, like, by 50-plus to 35, like, the amount of possessions you're just losing on that, that that's, you know, big. And it also just shows, you know, A, that they don't want as much as Golden State, and B, that they're just not playing smart. And, you know, so when you see something like that, you've got to have a center on the floor. And I get it. Like, you know, when you have – I'm looking at Golden State's roster right now. When you When their centers come on Looney, that's like – you know, their least impactful player probably out of their starting five. But, you know, it, it doesn't matter because you still need a big man out there if you're getting out-rebounded like that. You know, and on top of that, I think another problem was that, you know, Golden State is just so deep. I mean, if you look at them, off the bench, they have Jordan Poole, Otto Porter, um, Kamingo, they have Moses Mood. They have all these different pieces. Like, their bench, it, like, is not even bad, at, like, at all. Like, it could – 
easily hold up against a lot of starting lineups in the NBA. And I think that Dallas just doesn't have that same thing. It's just, you know, it's just Luca and Dinwiddie and, you know, the rest of the players are just like not as, um, I guess, impactful. And I think their ma- main problem is just, as, as we said earlier, just getting a big in there so that they can compete on the glass and then having guys step up and not, not just be Luca. I mean, Luca had a bit of an off game, just 20 points. It's kind of weird that we're saying that like someone has 20 points and it's an off game, you know, but I guess Luca probably needs to step up a little more. And I mean, but I, I just, it's just going to be so tough for them because, you know, they just don't have a roster that matches, in my opinion, the, the, the power of Golden State's roster. Yeah, and as Chris was saying earlier, Luca, they need a second guy in there in Dallas. They, if they want to move on, they need a, a number two. And I think Rudy Gobert would be a very nice fit there because they're obviously lacking in size down low. But as you said, well, only 20 points for Luca, 27 and four, six of 18 shooting. But it, it wasn't the points, it's the turnovers. Same with Tatum in game one. He had seven turnovers. Spencer Dinwiddie, another main contributor for Dallas, 17 points on five of 11 shooting. So Golden State, they go up 1-0. Miami, they also go up 1-0. Game two for Boston, Miami is tonight. But before we move on from our conference finals discussion, I want to know, who do you guys think is making it to the finals this year? I'll start with my original prediction, and that was Warrior Celtics. It's looking good right now. I'm going to stick with those two, but I'm curious to hear what you guys think? I had Philly Phoenix before the playoffs, so I'm I'm completely dusted here, um, <laughs> and uh, I'm now going to pivot to God. We're getting a Celtics Warriors Finals, man. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be unhappy because I have too many friends that are fans of both teams that I'm gonna be miserable hearing it from for the next couple months. Which, regardless of who wins, but yeah, <laughs> the Celtics does. For me, I agree on the Warriors, but on the other side, I'm going to actually have to go with the Heat just because I think they've already taken game one. You know, they have less games to go than than the Celtics. And, you know, both teams are dealing with some injuries, but um, I think even if the Celtics at full strength might be slightly better as a team than Miami at full strength, I just think Miami already has a game and that, that momentum is just going to take them into the NBA finals. It might take seven. Um, I, I think it is going to take seven, but I'm going to take Miami. But I, I don't think they're making it past the Warriors in the finals, though. I think that the Eastern Conference Series, Miami Celtics, that definitely goes seven. I think Warriors in five. Yeah. But, um, yeah, Warriors Celtics, Warriors Heat. Who knows? We'll see. No love for Dallas, but maybe, maybe next year. Well, we're going to move on now. We're going to talk a little about the league MVP, and that was Nikola Jokic. He wins his second consecutive Most Valuable Player Award, and he had some pretty nice-looking averages, 21 point, oh, excuse me, 27.1 points per game, 7.9 assists per game, 13.8 rebounds. He shot 58.3% from the field, and he set an all-time single-season record for player efficiency rating at 32.85. Received double the first place votes of counter big man Joel Embiid. And this MVP win for Jokic, that marks the seventh time in the 21st century that a player has won the MVP in back-to-back years. The other recipients, 
It's a very nice list to be a part of. Tim Duncan, Steve Nash, LeBron James, Steph Curry, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. In a league where centers have completely shifted from what many basketball fans were used to the position being, Chris, in what ways has Jokic's game revolutionized the way we view the big man position? I think uh, outliers are always going to be seen as outliers. You know what I mean? Like, I do think that people were saying, like, oh, the big man is dead. That's not true. This always happens. There was art- there were articles in the, the 90s um, about how, like, the big man was dead. And then Tim Duncan and David Robinson got drafted in, like, back-to-back years. I don't know. Um, it didn't happen, right? Hakeem, Shaq, all those guys. Um we're at a point now where the new wave of, of great bigs, well, they can do more stuff than just dominate down low, right? Like, Joel Embiid is taking guys off the dribble in the mid-range and pulling up like he's Tatum or something. Like, that guy is so large. It's so ridiculous to watch. He looks like Hakeem, right? Like, I don't know who else I've seen do stuff like that. I have to watch Hakeem on YouTube, but, you know, uh, Embiid is, is the closest thing I've seen. And Jokic, he's just like, not real i don't know he, he like the, like the off-season beers and horse riding like him and luca just go home just do jack all summer and then come back so out of shape and dominate the nba it's like dude screw you guys like how do you do this um you know, you know was literally like they brought the the, the, the nuggets flew to, to serbia to his farm to surprise him with the mvp they had to like bring him in because he was on his horse just like riding i think he was holding a beer just like riding his horse they were like yo like the, the nuggets are here for you you gotta like come inside and he had to ride across the whole farm and make it in like dude's hilarious and he just makes shots that he shouldn't he gets so many boards and then he makes his teammates better right so it's like i don't know um what it's like magic johnson went into like the multiverse and came out the exact opposite <laughs> like like i don't know Jokic is inches taller he's not athletic at all <laughs> um but they have a similar game in a sense of just like what they accomplish on the basketball court and that's nuts like that's to be able to say that about a point guard at a center is really just ridiculous so even if it's a bit of a stretch, like they, I, I really think there's something there with like the the impact they have on on their other four teammates and the the defense. I don't think that the league though is gonna totally change up. I just think we're gonna see more kids grow up and be big men that are gonna try to be stretch bigs. But again, shooting can be a genetic thing. Like some guys just aren't built for it. So we'll we'll see how that goes. I, I don't think the league will change too much. Like the landscape of the modern center. Uh, will change too much, but because people just know they're not getting this kid Jokic and, and anyone else. He's one of one. Yeah, I think, you know, as far as, you know, revolutionizing big man, I think there's there's always going to be, uh, you know, something new coming along. You know, we see that at really every position. And, um, you know, obviously, like, you know, at the beginning of the NBA, it's every, like all the big men are just like staying down low. Their job is to just grab rebounds. And, you know, their main job is just putting the ball in the basket that was like before you know three pointers and you know guards really start to dominate and you know over time like you see big men start to be able to do more and more things and you know you see big men start to be able to shoot you see somebody like Dirk and you know uh Kevin Garnett shoot you know he was a pretty solid mid-range shooter if not a fantastic mid-range shooter and you know now you have somebody like Jokic who can literally he can shoot he can he can dribble he can pass he can 
They literally do everything except run fast. I mean, um, and I think that that's uh, probably why, it, you know, he's able to stand out and, and dominate the game in such a way, uh, uh, um, you know, right now in 2022 in the NBA. And, you know, although I, I do think just because of the monstrous season Embiid had, I think Embiid still should have won. But, I mean, it's not like it should have been a runaway race either. You know, Jokic was, you know, fantastic as he has been the past few seasons. And, you know, no one uh, matches uh, the capabilities he has at his size. Yeah, I've always been very impressed with the way that Jokic handles the rock. It's so impressive. Chris, that was an excellent comparison between Jokic and Magic Johnson because sometimes I, I don't believe in watching a big man play the center position. He looks like a point guard. The fact that he's averaging almost eight assists at the five is just absurd. It's absurd. And uh, sec as I said before, second consecutive MVP for Jokic. Great. Great season out of him. But we're going to move on to our last segment, and we're going to talk a little about, about the most recent NBA news, and that's the draft lottery. Now, we'll stay local to start, and I'll start with you, Chris. Your New York Knicks, 11th pick. How are, you, how are we feeling about that? I wasn't expecting uh, for the Knicks to move up. They had a really large chance of picking 11. They had like a 12% chance of moving down to 12. And then they had like a 10% or less chance of moving into the top four. It was more likely that they moved down than up. And yet you went on ESPN and they were posting about like, oh, well, Nick fans finally get move up today. Like, Dude, we had the 11th best odds. Like, why are we talking about this? Um, there was like an 80% chance they were picking 11th. And Bleacher Report was like, will this be the next year? No, you know that. Don't do this. Like, why, why, do, you, why do you waste our time with this? Like, how, like, is your intern that bored, yo? I don't know. Um, anyway, they're going to get a good player at 11 book night fell to 11 last year. I had him like seven or eight on my board. Uh, there's always someone good that falls right outside the top 10 because of guys like Jalen Williams, who kill it at the combine, who have a nine, who have a wingspan that's nine inches longer than their height and can take guys off the dribble and shoot and everything. Like, yeah, that kid's going to go higher than people think he's going to be Jalen Williams will be this year's Josh Primo. Um, and a guy, you know, maybe Jeremy Sohan or Tari Eason could fall to 11 to New York. And I think that the, either of those guys would be great ads for them. So uh, I'm happy with 11 for the team. And I think they should be too, especially given that I don't think you could name a pick that Leon Rose's regime has missed on. I don't, you know, maybe every pick is still, the jury's still out. You know what I mean? But uh there's not a pick that you can say is a miss, you know, Toppin quickly Grimes, McBride, Sims at 58. Joku made is playing really well in Spain. They're in the final four now in their league. Uh, I trust them with this pick and I, I trust them to get some good value. here. Yeah. I mean, as far as the Knicks go, it's just, you know, typical Knicks luck. You're not going to move up. I mean, that's, I'm pretty sure you agree, Chris, you know, you're a Knicks fan. So I'm sure you've been through a lot of pain and, uh, but I, I mean, it's not like, you know, some years they, they really just move down and at least it, let's just say at least, you know, for you and, you know, other Knicks fans, at least y'all didn't move down this year. And you're right. I mean, there's always, you know, a player that, you know, everyone's like, oh, he's going to go inside, you know, the top five or the top 10 and they just fall right outside of it. And somebody, you know, some team that had a spot like the Knicks, they, they get to draft that player. 
So the Magic, they won the first overall pick. And the last, last time Orlando had the first pick was in 2004. And that's when they selected one of the best big men of the 2010s decades. And that was Dwight Howard. The rest of the top five follows as so. OKC, Houston, Sacramento, and Detroit. That'll round out your top five. So real quick, guys, it'll be interesting to see how Orlando or who Orlando decides to go with to pair with their young core of Cole Anthony, Jalen Suggs, Franz Wagner. So really quick, who do you guys think goes off the board first overall? Man, it's really tough. I know Jabari Smith is the betting favorite. Um, I think right now, even though Chet Holmgren's my number one player, if I were Orlando, I would take Paolo Boncaro and the reason is that like Suggs, all those guys, they have Franz Wagner. None of them are really go-to bucket getters. Like we're talking about you need in the playoffs. Um, and I probably would go Paolo if I were them, but I think they're going to go Chet Holmgren. I think they're going to look at his length, um, his ability to dribble like a guard, despite being seven feet tall. And they're just going to be like, I think we might be overthinking this. Like They'll break him in for a workout and he's going to impress the hell out of them. And they're just going to fall in love and, and take him one. I don't think it's going to be Chet Holmgren. Let, let me just put that out there. I don't think, I don't think anyone's seeing Chet Holmgren first just because of his size. Um, and I, by his size, I don't mean his height, but you know, just the fact that he's a skinny dude and, you know, at the center position, it's one thing to be in college and be that skinny. It's another thing to be in the NBA. You're going to get pushed around. And I don't think he's going to be able to compete on the glass, you know, with the other big men in the league. So I, I don't think he's going first or second. I think he's going to end up being the third pick. And I think it's more of a toss up for Orlando between Jabari, Jabari Smith and uh, Paolo. But, you know, you I feel like although they don't have a signature bucket getter, I feel like they do have guys that can still score the basketball. And that's why I feel like they're actually going to go with Jabari Smith, who, you know, you said I, I wasn't aware of this, but you said he's the betting favorite. But I think it's going to be Jabari Smith just because, you know, he's been solid and, you know, he doesn't really have that. um he doesn't really have that lack of size that, you know, Chad Holmgren does. And he's still, you know, a solid force in the paint. I think I'm going to stick with Chris here. I think they're going to go with either Paulo or Chet, preferably Paulo. I, I like Chet. I think he's a little skinny, though. But he's kind of like what we were talking about with centers before. He can handle the rock like a point guard. And that's just kind of how the center position is looking when you got guys like Jokic taking home the MVP every single year, you know, it's going to be a toss up. It'll be interesting to see what Orlando does and how they're going to improve that really nice young core that they have down there. But that's going to wrap up this edition of Pick and Pod. Nikola Jokic, he won his second straight MVP award. We know who will be picking where on June 23rd for the draft. And most importantly, there's still lots of exciting basketball yet to be played with the NBA Finals just on the horizon. So for Chris Persianen, Will and Will Jing, I'm Will Talent, and thanks for tuning in.